Lily, what's something that works so well that it's basically magic? I, not to be so American, but I love aircon. Another thing that works like magic is selling whatever you want to sell on Shopify. And you're using Shopify? I'm using Shopify magic to whip up captivating content that converts. And do they have amazing customer service when you have a snag or a rafu? Oh yes, when a rafu comes to town, my dear, I simply call them, I phone them up on my telephone. Oh, so wonderful. What you need to do is you need to sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash book club, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash book club now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash book club. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Celebrity Book Club Who's that knocking at the door? It's all your friends, you filthy whore Your husband's gone and we've got books And a bottle of wine to kill It's Hollywood, it's books It's gossip, I'm shook It's memoirs, it's martinis It's Studio 54 Celebrity Book Club Come read it while it's hot Celebrity Book Club Tell your secrets we won't talk Celebrity Book Club No boys are allowed Celebrity Book Club Say it loud and proud Celebrity Book Club Buzz me in, I brought the Cuervo Hey, hey best, best Lieutenant Colonel How the fuck are you, bitch? I haven't seen you <laughs> since you forded the Allegheny It's crazy My life has been really up in the air Especially because both legs were amputated I got crazy hypothermia Okay, no, it's so crazy So I had consumption in Appomattox No No, I literally did Stop And I wrote you this letter And they sent the letter to Fort Knoxville Obviously, you weren't there You'd already (laughs) taken leave And gone back to Greater Cincinnati Which is so you No, TFW, the letter is sent And you can't pick it up Because you've already on a steamboat no, I know. I'm literally on a steamer and I'm like, I literally know there's a letter waiting for me like back at my cabin outside of St. Louis. And it's just like, it's postmarked. I'm not opening that shit. No, I'm so excited. Bitch, I'm, on leave. <laughs> I'm so excited, but also scared to read my mail when I come back to my home. Oh, I'm li- in St. Louis in five years. No, it's crazy how reading your mail is terrifying because you're just like, okay, literally, first of all, where am I getting stationed? <laughs> yeah. Who died? 
Who like how do I have a new son? You Who know what I mean? Who was born? Right? Is my wife still alive? Is she with another soldier? Yeah. No. <laughs> Male be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we having all this old timey talk? <laughs> Let me tell you, it is back to school biatches, okay? Sophomore year AP history energy. Get to Kohl's, bitch. (laughs) That Kohl's cash card is burning a hole in your little satchel. We're wearing new backpacks, new Skechers sneakers, new jeans for the whole family. (laughs) New licensed Spider-Man and Disney and Harry Potter soft, soft t-shirts. Because this week we read the probably most insane book we've ever read. And when I say insane, I'm talking about length and <laughs> and length, length and length. Length and length and more length and just the incredible detail with which the he describes <laughs> troop movements and creeks. Horse, horse prices <laughs> and really just the heights of water in different creeks and when something goes from a stream to a creek. We're, of course, talking about The complete personal memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. I'm talking about volume one and two, bitches, okay? This book clocked in (laughs) at 550 pages. Just a cool 550. And of course, we read this book. Lily, do you want to tell our audience why we chose Grant? Yeah, so... As a child... Okay, maybe um, not the full Grant-length memoir description, or just the fact that he's your... Well, Rutherford is my... I know, but he's Rutherford's, your second favorite. Yeah, he's mine. Grant is... I th- I was like, is there another secret that you want me to reveal <laughs> no, no, right no, no, now? No, I thought you were just going to be like, as a child, <laughs> I spent my summers playing racquetball with my father's father. <laughs> And he had going? a but he had a book. Um, <laughs> no, as um, a child, I became obsessed with the Civil War. I idolized President Rutherford B. Hayes, who was the president before Grant or after Grant. I really should have that fact kind of. I want to say after because no, I know it goes from Johnson to Grant, I think. Okay. Who knows? I should have learned more. Anyway, I was obsessed with <laughs> Rutherford because of his beard. Um I would come home and instantly draw a beard on myself and get to playing Union General. Um. (laughs) Wait, so your original like gender role model was Ulysses S. Grant? Yeah, both Ulysses and Rutherford. And and Hayes, and they both had beards. They both had beards. And Hayes' beard is like more like um, totally Brooklyn, like long Portland vibes. And Ulysses is a little more mutton chops energy. And like... Just so you know, it is Lincoln Johnson, then Grant, and then Hayes. Okay. So Hayes was after Grant. Yep. I always thought in my early readings of the kid versions of Ulysses S. Grant and Rutherford's bio that like Ulysses was this like total badass president, like whiskey swilling and just like a total rebel. But it turns out like he's actually like kind of totally awkward. I do wonder how awkward he is. I mean, he obviously does very well for himself. Absolutely. But he's a sensitive man. He is. I mean, he carries with him this very Mm. embarrassing moment where he paid far too much for a horse (laughs) at age eight. And it's something that he's, like, just haunted by, like, well into his teens and 20s. And he, like, keeps bringing up in the book. Uh, Even you're at page 300 in here and he's like, and but 
when I was made a fool for buying a horse. He's like obsessed with horses. Well, okay. So this brings up two tacos. First of all, Ulysses S. Grant. And just, yeah, so just, you know, so Lucius Grant, general in the Civil War, then became president as a war hero later. We're, ta- we're in the 19th century, we're in the 1800s, people, okay? We all remember it from middle school. It's, we're back in seventh grade, the Ken Burns is playing. So Grant is obsessed with horses. Dare I say it, he's a horse girl. Literally, thank you. No, full horse school. And, and okay, I was saying, I was like, he's so obsessed with horses and oh, horses. And my girlfriend was like, uh, yeah, it's like having a car back then. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that is true. I, okay, I kind but of. But he's a little too obsessed with horses. He is. In a but, horse girl okay, way. But, okay, so I'm, I'm actually kind of now I'm on the fence about this because I think that you're. Partner mm-hmm. is really dead on about that because sometimes the way he talks about horses, as he's just like, yeah, and like I got home, like he's always on leave for like two months, like at West Point, then like enlisted in the army, then like going on leave, then asking for leave, then getting sent back to a barracks for three more months, then going back home for another month, and like anytime he's always going back home, he's just like, well, I needed a horse, and the men who could ride rode horses, and he just like it does sound like this thing where he's like, and he loves to like travel and go to Cincinnati loves- for the weekend, so it's just like. I feel like it is such a car thing and it is a little bit like guy who's working on his car and he's very like knowing all he's just like, oh, this horse wasn't broken in and this horse was like got spooked by like a coyote and I had to blindfold the horse with a handkerchief for like the entire walk back from Charlottesburg to Hicksville. So much blindfolding horses. It is also this vibe. Then there's that other horse that goes blind. That goes blind and he runs into that horse. No, he sees the horse later and the horse is part of like... An ex, and he's like, oh, shit, I saw my old horse who was blind and, like, working as, like, a pack horse. A pack horse, like, for, like, loading steamers. And I'm just like, okay, not you seeing your ex-horse. It's a very working on car, like kind of actually totally greaser because it's like you're like whoa you're 15 and you already have a car and he's always like checking out it's like a horse that like basically he saw in craigslist like craigslist of the past (laughs) (laughs) being like oh and then gets there and this horse that he like was like mad unruly and he just thought he could handle it and he's always just like grabbing a new horse i mean he's kind of like slutty with his horses because he's just like he goes to some town he's like from rural ohio he goes to some town like for the weekend and then he's just like and there was a horse that i quite coveted and i did spend six dollars which was quite the hefty sum at the time and he like buys a random horse like and swaps out the horse that he was on to get this like sexier new horse and then that horse was the one that like couldn't handle it and he had to blindfold on the road back but the story that's most insane that haunts him for his whole life the uniform story no not the uniform story no okay. the, whole, the, the pain too much for the horse story yes. so he's okay. eight years old and like his neighbor, Mr. Payne, has a horse that he also quite covets. And I'm like, not you coveting this horse, you slutty, <laughs> slutty horse hoe. So then he's like, he tells his dad he wants to buy this horse. And he had like talked to Mr. Payne and Mr. Payne was like, well, the horse is $25. And like, that's an exorbitant. That's a lot of money back then. No, I mean, it's that's obscene. And so he tells his father this and the father's like, he's like, Literally eight. Like, I don't know what his but allowance is. But he is, is. Well, he's always plowing away for his dad. He's very like, yeah, I did the chores, bitch. Like, what else is there to do? And so his dad is like, okay, well, I will allow you to pay. I feel like this is also very me at a silent auction on Nantucket with my mother. 
<laughs> just being like, mom, I want this weird owl photograph. And her being like, well, I will allow you to bid like $150, but you may not go more than 200 And then I'm just bidding 250 So anyway, so he goes. Meanwhile, like, she's like also bidding on like no, she's, a separate sea lion photo. She's bidding and- on a sea lion photo for like 1000 and she's blackout. So the father's like, you can spend 220 They have this like shark tank session where the right. dad is like, you can spend 20 and if he says no, you can go up to 22 and a half. And if he says one of that, you can go to 25. The 25. So he goes to Mr. Payne. And then literally little eight-year-old Grant is just like, my dad said that I have to pay you 20. And if you say no, I can pay you 22 and a half. And if you say no to that, I'll pay you 25. And so the guy's like, okay, yeah, pay me 25, sucker. Wait, this is my favorite part of the story where he goes... <laughs> It doesn't take a Connecticut man to figure out how much I paid for the horse. <laughs> it's just like, Connecticut means smart? Yeah, is it, like, was Connecticut always being, like, ritzy? Yeah, I guess it was. a Connecticut man? Yeah, Connecticut man, and maybe, like, Miss Porter's, like, was open then, and you were going to, or maybe Choate was, like, Well, then. I guess those schools literally were open in, like, 1830. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to be like, wait, so what was open then in like the 1840s? So like, <laughs> you're kind of like, so what like stores were yeah, open? Yeah, like literally, because like we're getting kind of close to modern time boots. Yeah, and like he is talking about like going to San Francisco. I'm jumping ahead for a second when he talks about going to San Francisco after the Mexican-American War. And he was like, the gold rush was happening? Yeah, and he's like, let's just say this. Anyone who went to California for gold is no longer alive. What? <laughs> I mean, the amount of debt that he casually talks about is so funny, but okay. But then I, he talks about San Francisco actually being gentrified in 1850. Wait, this is that what I wanted so, to okay. say. He was like, the gold diggers were like the original, like, Trustafarian freelancers. Yeah, and he's like, so originally San Francisco was so cool. It was gambling houses, <laughs> bars. Everything's like under a barge. Like, you're so like dirty and drinking. And then he's like, and now it looks like any old town. And it's just so like, Already just being so tech, so gentrified. (laughs) This is this thing where I'm like, it's a little bit. So he's writing these memoirs on his deathbed, by the way, can we say? Well, also, we should say the reason why he had to write the book, which is an amazing reason to write the book, is he lost his fortune in a game, in in a bad business deal. He was broke. He was broke. Darling, he needed the advance from the publisher. So the only thing he could do, which, and he didn't even want to write his memoirs. Oh, Because I felt like he's like, that's too, like, braggadocious. <laughs> Bubblicious. <laughs> he's like, I, sir, General, Colonel, President Grant, I wouldn't want to write my memoirs, but it was the only way, and he needed to leave money for his family, his wife, of course, Miss Dent, and his children whose names he forgot definitely one is frederick and like but then there's like so many there's like so many sons that happen anyway he writes this book so they can have money and so i guess i'm like just why we're doing this podcast yeah we're doing the podcast because he wrote a memoir there is like a element of him where i'm like i wonder if he was like actually this like woke in his like regular life or if it's like you're writing memoirs and you're kind of making yourself look good going back where he's like and that's why he's being so like um slavery was bad totally gentrified (laughs) and he's always being just like uh yeah i actually thought that like the whole like um union like trying to annex texas was like kind of like actually really rude and was like super european like colonizing boots and like way too conquery and i was like that's actually not what the colonists should be doing just like mexico does kind of own that space yeah no, he, I was surprised. I mean, it's kind of the thing where he's... He's, like, like, very pro-immigrant. 
And he's like, why would you like go fight a country that obviously like does not have our military and we're just like bashing them in? Yeah, and he was just like, it was really, really unfair. Like we had the superior force. And And he's like, like, y'all needed like New Mexico and Texas like that much. And everyone is just like dying here and there. And here we are. Clop, clop, clop. Though, you know, he's not woke on indigenous people. I feel like that. He's just like... Mm. Oh, wait. Actually, I take it back because then he does have this part where he's like, oh, everyone died because of the white man's diseases. Yeah, I mean, he talks He talks about, yeah, smallpox. So, ta- actually, he, I don't think he's, he's wokeifying in retrospect. I mean, maybe a little bit of it for the memoirs. Well, I, I wonder how much he's like in the army. Did he like really care? And was he having so many conversations with his other generals just being like... I don't know. I feel like the annexing thing is up. Although I guess probably was because that's what everyone was talking about. And they were all like men of letters and they were all just like discussing the events of the day. And I mean, he was, I will say this, though, his thoughts pre-Civil War, I feel like were just like a lot of middle-aged parents where they're just being like, Trump couldn't win because he was like, I kind of thought slavery was just going to die down and people were going to realize it was bad. He's like, and then randomly, like, they did it. And randomly it was like being such a thing. And these like Southern states were being like so into it. We need just to see it vibes. And like being so secession. And he was just like, okay, literally boots. was like I, I literally wanted to be a mathematics professor, but okay. Wait, I found the passage where he talks about um, San Francisco getting gentrified during the <laughs> gold rush. <laughs> uh. Okay, of these, some were runners for hotels, boarding houses, or restaurants. Others belonged to a class of impecunious adventurers of good manners and good presence, who were ever on the alert to make the acquaintance of people with some ready means and hope of being asked to make a meal at a restaurant. Many were young men of good family, good education, and gentlemanly instincts. Their parents had been able to support them during their minority and to give them good educations, but not to maintain them afterwards. From 1849 to 1853, there was a rush of people to the Pacific Coast of the class described. So it's literally being just like, it's all of these just like spoon fed, just like suburban, like Greenpoint NYU grads just like getting cut off from mommy and daddy and just being like, okay, I guess I'll just like go like become a podcaster at the which was at the time panning for gold (laughs) well i ask you this i feel like in our last episode we kind of touched on your grandmother like being sod house and then or your great-grandmother being sod house and your grandmother going i was kind of assumed your family were gold gold diggers diggers. (laughs) (laughs) because like both your parents assuming my family are gold (laughs) sorry both both your parents are from california the only reason you assume this is because you know that my grandmother banked with wells fargo (laughs) yeah and it's like oh wells fargo is just so stagecoach (laughs) it's so like i feel like i'm imagining just like (laughs) your great great grandfather like clopping up on a horse and just like with his big white hat to the wells fargo just being like can i deposit my gold sir My name is Stephen Horst Beauregard the Fourth, and then he's like getting in a shootout. And if you want to go back, so you know mm-hmm. that my grandmother's father on my father's side mm-hmm. worked for the oil company. He worked for Standard Oil. He was an oilman. 
An oilman. And then my father's father, like him, and my father's father's father was a doctor on horseback in Arizona. And I'm the first horsed man in like four generations who isn't a doctor. So, but who is before the horse doctor in Arizona? That's where we're getting gold. And that's where we're getting gold. Gold's and like- <laughs> maybe you're right. And maybe very much like okay, wait, the part where he drags his like aunt for not being into genealogy. Do you remember that oh, scene? Oh, that was insane. So, okay, it's this is, a, I found, I feel like classic historical novel because the other, the only other oldest book we've read is um, Why Am I Blanking? Advertising Guy. And he also Ogilvy. spends Ogilvy also only two pages on his childhood because they're just like, they're like move on. Yeah, like that happened. You're whipped. Anyway. You do chores and then you grow up. And he's like, we are Americans through and through. And my father's father went to Ohio and then he went to Pennsylvania. Oh, die also his... He's Boston. His ancestors docked in Dorchester. Oh, literally at like 1631. Yes. First sentence is just like, I'm from Dorchester. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, he's a, he's like a mass hole descendant. (laughs) And then so he goes to, and everyone's like going to Pennsylvania to Ohio and become leather makers and like blacksmiths. Um, And then he's like, he's, what, go on. But Sorry. then he is like, uh, yeah, like all I know is who my grandmother is because like my aunt didn't keep up the genealogy and that's so like. Oh. She was just like, she cared little for genealogy. So he's actually, what I do love about him is that he is a ripe bitch. Like he actually is very bitchy at oh, many different points. Yes. Okay, wait, he, with the part where he is talking about his schooling mm. and... Okay, so he went to this thing called a um a oh my god what, a subscription school, which I did look up, and it was kind of just like it was a school that like a lot of like farmers kids would go to because you paid per day, so it was kind of like a um you know like a sort of a pay as you go, and like it would always be just like one room with like one guy with a switch who was just like beating the kids every day and just like not really that accredited. So this is he talking about how the teachers weren't smart. The schools at the time of which I write were very indifferent. There were no free schools and none of which the scholars were classified. They were all supported by subscription and a single teacher who was often a man or a woman incapable of teaching much, even if they imparted (laughs) all they knew. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, you're really just dragging all of these. Right, like this is why I had him totally wrong. I feel like he's kind of like this like bitchier calculating because he's all about strategy, general vibes. Like he's always like planning, you know, he's a little more like pinky in the brain, like planning out war stuff. Yeah, I mean, he was a smart cookie and I feel like he's smarter in a way that I want to say Bill Clinton is smart where it's like he's Mm. not, it's just kind of, it does, it clearly does come naturally to him because he's like, yeah, I kind of tried in school, but I went to these shitty schools and I was kind of like, whatever, like these teachers are stupid. Like, I guess I'll go to West Point even though I don't really he was to. like, I don't want to be in the army. Like, I want to be a professor of arithmetic. But that okay, didn't you know happen. What I was surprised by when he talked about algebra. And he's like, I never saw an algebra or a mathematical work harder than the arithmetic until I was appointed to West Point. And I'm like, so y'all had algebra back Isn't then? Isn't that crazy? X plus Y? Like, I'm like, when did they invent algebra? And literally why? Well, wasn't it invented by like... Oh, like Pythagoras? Greeks? I guess, but I'm again, I'm just like... I'm and like, st- that's how they're figuring out like naval stuff? Because, I mean, throughout this whole book, you're like, how did y'all get anywhere? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. You're trying to find a cause for your symptoms. 
achy back, headache, runny nose, itchy eye, wart on my genitals. So let me guess, you stumble down a TikTok rabbit hole full of questionable advice from so-called experts. Suddenly I have cancer? Uh, no thank you. (laughs) There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. Though randoms, I love you, and my TikTok addiction, yeah, it stands. But I'm sorry, Lily, you shouldn't be getting medical advice from some girl in her grandmother's basement in Toronto. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. That's right. Ditch the talk, get the doc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more Dr. Roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Mm, I love a trusted guide, like the time I climbed to Machu Picchu on the Inca Trail with a team of Sherpas. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. So find your Sherpa at ZocDoc.com. Go to ZocDoc.com slash book club and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find NBook, a top-rated doctor today. Slay. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash book club. ZocDoc.com slash book club. Ditch the talk. And they are always, it's like, he's like, and um, a letter was sent to my fellow infantrymen to station in California. So he took a boat for nine months and threw up the whole time. And then when he got to California, oh, wait, he got oh, another, wait, that page. Hold on, wait, I, that, we have to read have, that story I think in I a have second. To. I wrote it because it's, because it has oh, the most a, hilarious ending though. 92. The, it's... the kicker ending. Okay. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. It's oh, I, It really uh, kills me. Okay. One amusing circumstance occurred while we were lying at anchor in Panama Bay. In the regiment, there was Lieutenant Slaughter, who was very liable to seasickness. It almost made him sick to see the wave of a tablecloth when the servants were spreading it. It's like that line? It's just like, okay, hilarious, just dragging him for being a seasick bitch. Go on. <laughs> being seasick from tablecloths? Soon after his graduation, Slaughter was ordered to California and took passage by a sailing vessel going around Cape Horn. The vessel was seven months making the voyage, and Slaughter was sick every moment of the time, never more so than while lying at anchor after reaching his place of destination. On landing in California, he found orders which had come by Isthmus, notifying him of a mistake in his assignment. He should have been ordered to the Northern Lakes. He started back by Isthmus route and was sick all the way. But when he arrived at the East, he was again ordered to California. (laughs) Mid-story, I'm like, at this point, Flee the army. No, flee the like, army. And he and this and this is Grant just being like, isn't this hilarious? This asshole seasick the whole time, and he's just having to ride a boat for nine months in each direction. Just as someone God, who also just, gets seasick by having a wave of a tablecloth, no, literally, I would just be like, I um, just, I'm done. I'm gonna just like build a cabin at you, okay, and they're like, okay, continue the story. 
He was as sick as ever and had been so for more than a month while lying at anchor in the bay. I remember him well, seated with his elbows on the table in front of him, his chin between his hands and looking the picture of despair. At last he broke out. I wish I had taken my father's advice. He wanted me to go into the Navy. If I had done so, I, so I, I should not have had to go to sea so much. Poor slaughter. It was his last sea voyage. He was killed by Indians in Oregon. <laughs> and then just moving on. But it's like... <laughs> he's the like, fact that they're just sort of... The most amusing listen, circumstance happened. Just like, I watched this guy get seasick for three years. Literally three years. Joke and was on him. It was his last voyage. <laughs> he was killed by Indians. The next fortnight in Oregon. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. He's like, and then another thousand people died from cholera that August. But he's like, wait, hold on. I actually have this hilarious this story hilarious. I need to put. I mean, he's no. like, look, I have 500 pages here. Yeah. I need to tell you about this bitch slaughter, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's vomiting constantly. <laughs> no, but sorry, if I had no, I mean, the- to get a letter. Yeah. After you've been nine months at Sea Voyage being like, no, go back. And then another letter. The whole, like, time period thing is very much just, like, everyone's waiting forever for everything. I do feel like there is this, I'm going to say it, gayness about him. Yeah, and that's so gay. This is evil where, gay story. So the, A, that's an evil gay story to say that. But B, do you remember when he's telling the story about how he was, like, gonna get sent to, like, Corpus Christi on his, like, very first kind of, like, assignment in the army? Yeah. And he had, like, heard word via another letter that his, like, regiment in St. Louis was, like, getting sent out. And he was on leave for, like, 30 days. And he was like, I knew that if I, like, actually went to meet up with them, then I, like, wouldn't get to go home. And I would also, like, get there, like, after my leave ended. So he was like, so I went to St. Louis and, like, reported for the end of my leave and then knew that I was going to get the assignment and then immediately asked for, like, pre-assignment leave to go home and see Julia Dent again. Why is this gay? (laughs) (laughs) It's gay because he's kind of gaming the system and just like getting more time off. Yeah. He's being so just like, I kind of just like, I knew that I was supposed to be in Corpus Christi, but I kind of like gamed it so that I could just like get another week off to like go home and like ride my horse and like see this girl that I wanted to go on a walk with. I guess I'm more seeing is that that's also kind of bro because he's also just being like, no dude, like I sent this letter and like I actually went to St. Louis. But I feel like like, I worked at this skate shop and then I okay, saw yes, but it's also so gay like filing for unemployment benefits like while you're on vacation okay well like, this is <laughs> this is another point for the gay part when he first becomes like graduates West Point he finally like gets to have an army uniform this, this scene this is, is insane insane so basically he's like okay well I went to a tailor and he's like told the tailor he's like when I get my orders I will tell you like what uniform to like make for me so he finally gets it he's so excited he cannot wait to be like rocking this uniform on his horse looking so hot he finally gets the uniform and then just like a bedraggled like full street urchin who's in like crazy pants and like a ripped shirt then like comes up to him and he's like look I'm dressed like you in your uniform. (laughs) And like Grant is like clop, clop, clop in his new uniform. And his like, again, that that haunts him for... 
And the then, rest of- and then, like he- later, he comes back to the town, and like the innkeep, the tavernist, who was just like a notorious jokesman of good humor, like made this like crazy potato sack pant costume with, with just like linen sides. He goes, the other circumstance occurred at home opposite our house in Bethel. Stood the old stage tavern where quote unquote man and beast found accommodation. The stable man was rather dissipated. Does that mean that like men fucked horses there? I'm just like, what I think that? it's like you're a man and you store your horse and you drink and you stay there. Right, right, right. right okay. Yeah. It's just okay. It's just okay. more classic. Tavern, I mean, but, right. Classic. But maybe there's like a brothel element to it. I'm sure there is, yeah. The brothel in Bethel. Right, it's kind of like it's four men and beast, and I think, like, the ladies of the creeks right. probably, like, go and no, serve up their <laughs> Lady of the creek. <laughs> <laughs> On my return, I Tides found... <laughs> <coming> in. <laughs> you can't spell brothel without so Bethel. <laughs> Damn, I got fucked in Bethel. Good. <laughs> Hopped off my steed and hopped on another. <laughs> I really, I didn't need to read this passage, but I was hoping for like more random old timey prostitute sex. The I guess absolute lack of romance. No, I mean when he says he was just like, and um, this woman to whom I have mentioned before was now my wife. Like literally, it just happens like one time. Sixty pages later, he's just right. like, and she is my wife now. And then later, he's just like, and our family did now consist of a son. And it's just like, and he's like, and I had not met my son yet. And it was like, your it's family that thing consisted of a son. When you're reading a book and you're like, oh shit, the romance is about to no, happen. I but I realized the romance was about to happen because he just had not mentioned, obviously, any women that he wasn't related to. And he was like, <laughs> and and then all of a sudden he's like, there was a daughter of 15, there was a daughter of my age, and there was a daughter of seven. And two of them were on track <laughs> to die of consumption. <laughs> yeah. And many of folk thought that I would be the third to die of consumption, for I was very sick for a period of 11 months. He's always having, like, I feel like it's whooping cough but like even crazier and he's like and I had a horrible cough for nine years but I was still able to plow potatoes in the freezing freezing St. Louis winters on my return I found him parading the streets and attending in the stable barefooted but in a pair of sky blue nankeen pantaloons just the color of my uniform trousers with a strip of white cotton sheeting so down the outside seams in imitation of mine. The joke was a huge one in the mind of many of the people and was much enjoyed by them, but I did not appreciate it so highly. During the remainder of my leave of absence, my time was spent visiting friends in Georgetown and Cincinnati and occasionally other towns in that part of the state. He's like, well, I can't finish this chapter on me being absolutely mocked mocked by an urchin by by this innkeep who's wearing this just like big flowy vaquera (laughs) like pant like homemade vaquera like making fun of me in my officer's uniform so I actually am just gonna go visit some other towns in the surrounding areas wait I literally am Grant because I was Rutherford B. Hayes for Halloween I think when I was eight far too large well no I think like so spoiled gold digger stuff um my parents like did have it made by like a tailor because like there weren't really like union generals (laughs) there weren't union soldier costumes for sale (laughs) 
<laughs> it's where they like, do you want to be a modern day seltzer? And I was oh, like, right. and you were like, hell no. But well, I'm, I'm sure at like <laughs> Halloween it, World or wherever New York, they have those. Yeah, but, I bet now they do. Yeah. It was like some fabric store. I feel like I got the hat and we got these like blue pants and I think like got some sort of jacket and then like some woman who was like a tailor by us put like epaulettes and maybe some gold tailor stuff on it. And then, of course, I was mocked by my entire second grade class. (laughs) Okay. Other evidence that he's gay is his love of travel. And when yes. he's first going to West Point and he's just being like, and I was so excited to get to Philadelphia and I did spend <laughs> three days in the city and I was able to quite experience the city and attend the theater. And I'm like, when you say you experience the city, mm. like how much of a like gay in Lisbon for three nights is it where you are like meeting a woman at a tavern and then you're taking her on a walk for tea the next day. Well, and I get he and was going like going to the horse museum in war and that's why he didn't see his wife from 1860 to 1864, but he sees her parents, which is also gay. He's like, "But I did visit her parents to ask her for marriage." And then I feel like he just like writes to her and then maybe they see each other once. And it's like, "You seem fine being with all your infantrymen." Mm-hmm. And not on all your horses. <laughs> the other thing that I find. Do you think that he fucked in Philadelphia or New York when he really experienced the city on his like long, like canal yeah. steamer horseback I railroad trip to West Point from Ohio? Feel like he got like one cholera blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> if she's not coughing blood on your dick. <laughs> It's not a blowjob. I'm sorry. It's not. <laughs> Vanilla ass pantaloon wearing lady. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think? But he also seems so like. I just think that he literally was a virgin until he like had sex with Julia Dent once in her Death, parents' yes. barn. And that's when Frederick was conceived. And then he had sex with her a second time, like three and a half years later. Well, he also probably While on only leave from had a few times to even have sex. He's seeing her like once every four years. Yeah. I guess you're right. When stationed, do you think like... I mean, okay, obviously there has to be, like, there's been no time in history when just like horny military men weren't like fucking women and just like raping locals. And I'm just kind of like, right? Yeah, it, it kind of has to Although be he, happening. Yeah. I mean, he's so... And it's his memoir, so he's not going to write about it. He mentions being at a public house once. And it's like, oh, I it, know your that... drink. That means a bar. A bar. A pub. A tavern. You got that? Public house? A pub. pub. Oh, my yeah. God. God. Yeah. The way you're blowing my <laughs> fucking mind right now. A pub is like comes from a public. Yeah. The public. The go pub. here. The public. Shut go. the fuck up. Sorry, I'm a freaking historian over here. 500 pages later. Wow. PhD to the boots. Pub HD over (laughs) here. Okay, well, you blew my mind. Right. Well, the pub, yes, of course. Of course it is. It's the town square. I'm thinking of all these like westerns and it's like the John Waynes and the Rio Bravos and Rio Grande is like when he's like in the Mexican-American War, like you don't think... Something going down. I mean, it seemed most of Mexican American so... War, he was like with a mule and just like well, forging and then... a river. And then, okay, this is actually what I find 
this is a little bit straight. I don't know. This could go both ways. Go on. After the Mexican-American War, they've, like, won. But him and his, like, buddies go in this, like, crazy mountain hike. That sounds, like, so That's crazy so and scary. Straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, like, they're all, they all, like, get poison in their eyes. It's raining hard. They're sleeping in a river. No. Mules are dying around them. And they're, like, the next day, they're, like, no, no, no. Let's try this again. Yeah. No, they're being just, like, really <laughs> fearless, like, Denver bro. Where, like, when you see someone on that type of camping trip and you're like, are any of you having fun? And he admits it. And he's like, I think we realized, like, we had enough mountain climbing for the day. Other thing I wanted to bring up in his Mexico City... I'm like his Mexico City trip. (laughs) (laughs) Calling the Mexican-American War his Mexico City trip. (laughs) Wait, does he go to Mexico City to, like... He goes see bullfighting and he's like, it was oh, so okay, traumatic. Right, because he's so sensitive. I mean, again, he's very sen- He's anti-dueling. I don't know if you remember that scene where he's just like, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe in duels. <laughs> and he's just like, if I ever got in an argument with a man that was worthy of a duel, I would certainly say that I respect him far too much to take it to the place of violence. And he's just like, and if I ever did feel that I hated a man so much that I wanted to kill him, I would simply kill him, not do it like at dawn with pistols and choose the time and place of the killing. Right, like, I don't think, like, with the bullfight and dueling, like, he doesn't, like, some drawn-out, like... Yeah, and he thinks it's barbaric, and he thinks it's, like, you should exhast all other options before you do... Well, obviously, he's do. a huge animal lover. I mean, yeah, the horses, as we know. Although, I don't really hear a lot about, like, dogs or cats in here. I mean, no, he's not, like... And then I got back, like, after four years, and I curled up with, like, poodles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are farm dogs around, but it's well, a little I more nay-nay. <laughs> I mean, did I guess, Lincoln have a dog? Are they pet people? I don't I think know. Lincoln seems so no pets. He seems so no pets. He's like too like shaky and like weird to have a pet. And like Mary, and Mary Todd's, Todd's going a, crazy over in the other room. And he's like, did you take like Skittles I mean, for a walk? Lincoln is gay. Well, okay, wait. There is. Oh. oh, thank you, producer Meg. What pets did Lincoln have? <sighs> Well, that sounds a little more farm in an 1800s I mean, that's, way. but that's the kids, though. But that's also eccentric parents that are both gay. Yes, yes. That is exactly <laughs> what that is. <laughs> so Lincoln and Mary Todd being eccentric gay who are just like, yes, we let our kids have like turtles Squirrels and flamingos and, and like weird <laughs> yeah. things and they take care of them and that's their thing. And no one will notice that well, like we're gay. This was what was also so gay about Lincoln is when that time he meets Lincoln. I'm just going to pull up the passage yeah, yeah. right here. Right here, I might relate an anecdote of Mr. Lincoln. (laughs) It was on the occasion of his visit to me after he had talked with the peace commissioners at Hampton Roads. After a little conversation, he asked me if I'd seen that overcoat of Stevens's. I replied that I had. Well, said he, did you see him take it off? I said yes. Well, said he, didn't you think it was the biggest shock in the littlest ear that you ever did see? Long afterwards, I told this story to the Confederate General J.B. Gordon, at the time a member of the Senate. He repeated it to Stevens, and, as I heard afterwards, Stevens laughed immoderately at the simile of Mr. Lincoln. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Lincoln makes this, like, ear metaphor for talking about how the guys, like, code, or this, this corn metaphor being like, oh, he was, like, having the largest husk and the smallest ear, just being like, this guy was, like, so small in his coat, which is also very 
the other like the pantaloons, the pantaloon uh, yeah. like drag of Grant. Uh, but I like okay. But here's the thing: I do think it's very gay of Lincoln to make this one joke about a guy's outfit. Yes. And like that's the one thing he says, and he says it in kind of a gossipy, like conspiratorial way. It pulls Grant aside. He's like, "Did you see?" Well, like, that and that makes Grant gay because I'm like, if Lincoln's pulling Grant aside to be right, like, he sees "Bitch, him did as you like see a her pants?" Chica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like about to sign a treaty, and like meanwhile, like Robert E. Lee is like waiting, being like, "So am I seceding?" Or <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So there's... so I didn't know that actually Lee was very charismatic and i guess like grant was more awkward historically i mean first of all this book we are talking about the most interesting parts the vast majority <laughs> is of this about 500 page book is just incredibly long descriptions of streams battles. and horses and battles and how long it took to get to a stream and how long how many men forded the stream and how many other men were on the other side of the stream here's my question about war back in the day as in the Civil War. Yeah. It really seems like it's mostly hiking. It's just walking to places and then like getting in this weird position to have a battle and you can like see where the other army is and everyone's just like You're kind waiting. of on a different like ridge. And I guess this is why he was so good at it because he's being so like again pinking in the brain. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And strategy and math about it. And I feel like he is like and just being pulling like, out this big map and being like, this the Krikakrani river flows here and that will go into this basin. And cause when he won the Chattanooga battle, which was super decisive, and then afterward Lincoln promoted him to like lieutenant general of the whole army or something. And it was like, yeah, he was being so ridge and creek and like I'm surprising them and like getting them to think that I'm going to come here by like slowly over the course of like 16 hours moving my like 7,000 person army (laughs) where they think that my 13,000 men army is but actually the 13,000 men army is like on the other side of a different ridge because they forded the creek because they knew that it would be lower at the dawn. I feel like when I was like being like okay I need to speed up here but I was like well I don't want to miss out on like this Vicksburg, like, Victor of You, and then you, like, go 100 pages, and you're like, okay, so we're still at, like, a different creek here. And I think the insane thing, though, about this war is it's, like, it's still so formal. Yes, that's what, because didn't, is that the Revolutionary War or Civil War where people went to watch? um, I I think it, I've heard that story about the Civil War, because I think that there were some battles in the beginning where it was, like, People were just very like, oh, the battles are happening over there, like in Virginia. And like people from the north, I want to say, were just like, okay, not them. Like, we'll watch. And I feel like I've seen photos, like paintings turned into photos or whatever. And it's like a woman with a. Turned into (laughs) photos. Your favorite medium. Okay, and it's like a woman with a big basket and like they're setting out jam and watching the war. And then I think they realized like all their men were dying and dying of cholera. And they were like, oh, wait, this is serious. serious, Maybe we should stop. The Civil War just seems like it's completely formal. Everyone's sending letters to the opposite generals. Being like, let's meet here. And then they're marching up like and I remember thinking this as a kid, too, when I was like, so y'all are just sending letters to each other being like, meet you here, General Lee. And then it's like troops of men marching and they're marching and marching. And then it's like ready, set, go. And they shoot Ready, each set, other. go. And then they just like savagely like 
fire cannons at each other and like stab each other in the eyes with bayonets. And like, because I feel like they are still just being like, we actually do need to get to bed. No, and, and like, they, they actually have to wrap at eight. They're like, I have a heart out at eight. I have a heart out for this battle at eight. And I have to write a letter like by Quill at nine. So like, can we get this moving? And then it's so movie where it's like, then once like so much smoke and everyone's limping and like tending and it'll be like, Ooh, brother, brother, take me down. And then everyone's like, okay, let's go, like, set up camp. The other insane thing is that, and this is really, I think, unique to the Civil War, is that these generals on both sides all knew each other before. From the Mexican-American War. And he's like... And from West Point. He was like, this guy was my classmate. And And he's having this talk with, was like, General... Was it, it wasn't Jackson? Was it Buckner? Well, okay, because like there was this this thing where him and Buckner were sending letters to each other about some fort, and like it's this bitchiest correspondence that's being sent by horseback in the middle <laughs> of this insane like four day long battle. I will say that I feel like mail sped up towards the end of the book. It was being like, and the, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, because no, like, ponies it, were kind of rolling a little yeah. bit faster. And then because the book, it's like, got that letter seven months ago. And then this one, he's like, I sent a telegraph and then I sent a letter to General Jackson. Yeah. And then Jackson sent a telegraph to me and we did decide to meet at Fort Luxeterb. The Luxeter before it is definitely like easier to reach in terms of communications. But yeah, no, and you're seeing that evolution of technology. And that's just awesome to see. Wait, can I just read this uh, this quick passage of letters? Please. Okay. So this is Buckner being like, I don't want to surrender. I compose that the, the appointment of commission to agree upon terms of capitulation of the forces and forward under my command and in view suggests an armistice until 12 o'clock today. And then Grant goes... Yours of this date, proposing armistice and appointment of commissioners to settle terms of cupulation, is just received. No terms except an unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works. And then he responds, The distribution of the forces under my command, incident to an unexpected change of commanders, the overwhelming force under your command, compel me, notwithstanding the brilliant success of the Confederate arms yesterday, to accept the ungenerous and unchivalrous terms which you propose. Right, so it's like these two generals are just sending these bitchy and letters being back. Like, even though we did like an actually amazing job yesterday, okay. I will accept your insanely rude terms because like you're a bitch. And then he'll be like, "You better be waving that white flag when we meet at this river later with all of my ten thousand men who are all about to die of consumption if they don't die tomorrow." But you may bury your dead, and I will <laughs> let you hang out with my men like while you bury your dead. But then I'm taking you as prisoners of war. Also, so many soldiers, he talks about how, like, after battle, they were just, like, roasting each other and being so, like, what up, Yanks? (laughs) (laughs) And it's so, like, good game, good game, good game, good game, like, at a soccer match. I also feel like it's so history repeating itself and just, like, I'm sure on other, like, actual serious podcasts are always talking about this, but Grant is, like, (laughs) so, yeah, the majority of people who want to seed were actually, like, not slave owners. Like, most of them were just, like, poor and, like, Southern and, like, lived in one house and, like... And they're so Trump. And they're just so Trump and being like, you're not taking my rebel flag away, but like, actually don't even (laughs) own slaves. This is now turning into such an episode of um, You're Wrong About. (laughs) This podcast that like, like straight people are always telling me. It's like, you you think. Do you know this podcast you're wrong about? I think you'd be really into it. (laughs) No straight person has actually ever recommended that to me. Um, Yeah. But anyway, it's still just like QAnon people just like being like, um... And it's funny because I'm trying to secede. Back like, then, those were the Democrats. Yes. No, I was 
Wikipedia because I was like, like wigs. Say whomst? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, like, and I would have voted wig had the party not disbanded in 1852. <laughs> Damn, it's like when there's no more wigs. <laughs> <laughs> He's also anti-gloating. Which I think goes back to all of his like sensitive issues because when he actually wins the war and he actually does the like he signs the treaty with Lee, and then he's like, and right after that, like when the soldiers received word, they started firing their guns in the air and they got twenty one gun salute. And when I heard this, I immediately ordered them to stop because we did not the the southern soldiers were already demoralized enough and they did not need to have the victory like shoved in their face. And I think Lee probably would have been very pro twenty one gun salute, and it would have been like a little more. Dixie, the South always oh, won. Had the South won? Yeah. I'm sure they I'm would. Sure that, yeah. And Grant is like being so Northern and just like Maddow and just being like. <laughs> he's so Maddow. Oh, wait. One other thing that is actually him being gay is he's always the quartermaster, which is the like treasure, is, is the like doing the like money. He's the one being yeah, like. straight people are also so money though. But straight people are so money. <sighs> but I guess I feel like it is a gay thing. To in the like army, in your little army crew, to be the one who's like with the di- pouch, with the pouch. Well, this is what I don't. I disagree He's- with you. I don't think that's gay. But what is gay is when he has a bread pop up. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, when does he have a bread pop up? He has a bread pop up at some point. I honestly forget if it's the Mexican-American War or the Civil War. And he realizes, well, the soldiers all needed bread. So I rented it. Oh, this is in Mexico. He goes, I rented out a bakery. I hired bakers. And we literally, he's like, I made more money selling bread than I did, like, the whole time I was there fighting. That's insane. I mean, that's also just literally a straight couple from San Diego. <laughs> okay. So this is like, he's finance, he's straight couple. He is like this kind of like, he is this like... I don't know, isn't he a girl dad in the same way? He like, is. Well, yes. No, he's such he's a girl like dad. He's like a bearded He's Portland. a hashtag girl dad. Yeah, and he's so Portland. And he's at the public house and he's definitely taking his kids in the stroller to the brewery. Oh, 100%. His two kids that he never sees. Yeah. I mean, he's also kind of a girl boss. <laughs> girl dad and girl, girl He's boss. a girl dad and a girl boss. Because remember when he sends the like letter being like, I actually think that I would be good to be like a lieutenant colonel in the army. And, he, and then he like goes to Philadelphia being like, I knew McClellan would be there. And I did want to run into him and see him in his office and be so like Barbara Corcoran just like, yes. I'm walking into the <laughs> yes. office to say, actually, I'm sorry, but here's why you need to hire me. But then he was like, McClellan like, wasn't there. Especially if you're on horseback again and you're like, you know what? I am going to take this three day trip while I will stay with my wife's cousin along the way <laughs> in this town in Pennsylvania and then stop at a public house for Man and Beast and then get there and, like, try to convince someone. Anyway, it's just all insane that they even, like, met up in war. (laughs) Like, and, like, things even worked out and it wasn't so, like, Carrie, no one showing up for her dinner. Yeah, it's like, why would you show up? And then also it's just like, so then when do you decide that you're randomly going to, like, go off script and be like, actually, I'm just going to kind of, like, go around to the side and just, like, shoot random people from a tree as opposed to just being like, I'll meet you in the middle of the field. It's just weird. It's like, why weren't they doing that... And then the it's like, time? why not do that the whole time? Because it would have been ungentlemanly. Right. I feel like it's like on West Point and they're like, we learned from like the French soldiers and the English army. And like, that's how we learned how to fight. And we will just simply walk towards each other. Okay. I also it's unmanlike. Like, I was very surprised when in the Mexican-American War, how bad bullets were. 
when he would just be like, and that regiment was just like a good 200 paces away and their bullets simply couldn't reach us. And people are just like firing a musket and it's just kind of like not really getting there. And like only the cannons were really like having some distance. So you're saying like guns were like I'm just kind of surprised then? at how bad guns were. But look at how, how many people died when he goes to this list and he's like 1,800 men died that week. I, I mean, the death is insane. I mean, you know, the Civil War has the largest number of deaths of any war, including World War II, like early of Americans. It's like a crazy amount of deaths for the fact that it was only, that's why I think it's crazy that it was only like bad, at, like muskets. There was probably a lot of the deaths were like injuries that were infected and everyone was like getting amputated and then getting cholera from the amputation. Right. Because it's like, even if you got an eye infection and you're coughing, I feel like you're dying in two days yeah. anyway. No, the amount, I mean, the guy that just drops dead at one point where he was like, and he was a wonderful general and we were finishing the exercise at the fort at Corpus Christi and he turned around to go back to his quarters and dropped dead. And it's like, no wonder, because later in the book, he's like, yeah, we have draft posters up and no one's trying to join. Like they were like, we were having trouble getting new folk. Yeah, because people were kind of like, we're over it. Well, there was also that part at like one battle that where it ends and he was like, a lot of the like Confederate soldiers who they had like captured or whatever were coming up to him and being like, do you mind if I literally just bounce? Like I'm like, and I swear to God, like I'm not going back into the army. Like I'm so over this. Like I'm literally just going to like walk off into a field somewhere and like do my own thing. But like literally over the war, I'm done. I would do that in a second. And Grant was like, and I said, absolutely. But toddle off. Right. Cause I feel like Grant like knew like this life ain't for the easy. No. It's not for the faint of heart, darling. Sloshing and sloshing, getting your steps in. Um, oh, wait, sorry. Okay, one more thing. Yeah, and then I want to talk about this potato thing. Right. Anyway, go on. Get into the potato thing. So I have a little bit of historic tea that I heard. Oh. From the husband of a friend. The husband of a friend. <laughs> the husband of a good friend. Ah. Who I met at West Point. Um, which was that Mark Twain ghost wrote this. Get the frick out of town. Yeah. And that's why it was like such a hit. Because you know how in the beginning he's talking in the ver- in the preface. Yes. And he's just like, I am quite sick and I need the money, so I shall write these memoirs. But I am utmost gratitude towards my son, Henry, and my other son for helping me write this. And I'm like, okay, so he's kind of saying the sons were like maybe doing a lot of like dictation boots. But then I'm like, is the son Mark Twain? Because I was imagining definitely like him lying down, wooden bed, classic kind of the ice pack on his head is like, he's like slowly and then his son is with a quill. Right. But maybe because it's like, okay, Mark Twain is so like Mississippi River. Here's what I bet. Did he pay him with the advance? Or do you think Mark Twain wrote volume two? Was he like, look, I mean, Mark Twain, I, didn't I think need that you volume to... two was like no, I so much volume... more popping off than I one. I thought volume one was way better than oh, yeah, volume two. I thought volume two. one was better. Volume two, I thought, could have used a little more reflection. Like, I felt like volume one, he, like, reflected on, like, why the Civil War happened. Why the Mexican-American War happened. Yes. Like, and, and, yeah, and he was, like, you know, saying his opinions and being just, like, this was how people were talking about it at the time. So and- maybe it was this. He got the advance, and maybe Mark Twain was like, look, Ulysses, I'm a fan. I'll do this, and you can pay me later. Maybe. And then... 
it's such a hit. And then the sons helped him write volume two. And he's like, okay, let's get the stream. And by that time, down. Mark Twain, maybe Mark Twain was just like, girl, I can't do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, I can't. No, my mom is cool. I can't deal with your nonsense anymore. I don't want to hear another fucking description of a river. I'm over it. My like, hand is hurting. My hand kills. Like, your sons can help you write the rest of this. I gotta bounce. Where did your friend's husband hear this tea? <laughs> you I know, hear... I really don't know. Okay. The Battle of Segmentburg. What does she eat? What does she wear? How does she live? Okay, what does she eat? What does she eat? I mean, rations. Rations (laughs) Rations and forage, bitch. That's Um, all you're getting. But I feel like mutton for sure, turkey. Oh, well, there was that whole thing about turkeys in Texas. When he was just like, every night there were so many turkeys. And then like, okay, another Oh, this is the thing. He won't. He's out hunting and his friend is like, shoot the turkey. There's a million. He's like, and I pointed my musket and I couldn't pull the trigger. Literally, if I got that. Yeah. But also like sensitive straight guy, hashtag girl dad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to hunt. And he's like going out with his brother-in-law and he's like, I'm sorry. And he was like, and then he would like spook the turkeys and they'll fly away. But like everyone else was coming back with just like a thousand turkeys for the whole regiment. Like everyone was feasting. The turkeys and the potatoes when they get them and when there's when there's not like a river that like ruined the potatoes. Let's just say this. I don't think he's a foodie. (laughs) (laughs) Even though in some senses, like even though, okay, he's like saying he loves travel and he's just like he was like, "Uh, yeah, and I was actually excited that. The Erie Canal steamer was like taking longer than usual and stopped at Slotsburg for two days so I could really soak up the town. Like, he seems like he is so 48 hours in Slotsburg, like NYT, whatever guide. But I don't think that food is really on his agenda. He's more like architecture sites, like horses. Like, what are the horses in the town? Okay. But then, which is fully not mentioned in this book, is like his insane alcoholism. I'm just going to read this. Grant's taste for strong drink first became problematic in the early 1850s when he was reportedly forced to resign for the army for being caught drunk on duty. He swore off alcohol for most of the next decade, only to fall off the wagon during the Civil War. So he was like wasted writing these letters, like commanding these insanely tactic boots battles. Um, Like, I think our boy loved him some whiskey. So if you love whiskey, then that makes me think that maybe he likes a little bit of food. So girl dad, yes. because it's so like, oh, awesome, dude. Yeah, no, I got a Japanese whiskey. Um, I've been dying to bring this I'm out. Dying to bring this out. It just arrived here by steamer. <laughs> it actually took about seven months for this Suntory to roll through and get over to the barracks. But damn, we're going to have some fun tonight. And he's waiting like seven months to like try this with like another like general that's coming. That's like, is well, the badass so turkey hunting friend? he is kind of like a whiskey foodist, then it's just like, is he liking a rare nut? Or just like being like, oh, yes, we actually Macadamias. just... Yeah, or like, or like, just like, oh, we have imported pineapple. It's incredibly hard to get in these parts, but like, I know a guy. Okay, it also says that he mostly liked to get wasted alone. That says not foodie to me. Yeah, I don't think it's food. I think it okay. is like... Anyway, yeah, he's turkey, not a big foodie. Yeah, turkey drinking alone. <laughs> Okay, what does he wear? Clothes that are ridiculously too large for him and untallied. 
<laughs> embarrassingly untalented uniforms. He's wearing a uniform. Seems like he's in war for most of his life. What's random about this book is that it just literally stops the end of the war and like doesn't even get to his presidency. And I'm kind of like, isn't, wouldn't you write? Say about being a president? Being president, that's kind of like a big deal. Like, and you just, the entire book is battles. Synapse, thank you for saying that. I'm like, well, that's also him being so humble and like quiet alcoholic. Is you're like... Yeah, no, it's like, and you're like, that's what the real glory is. And like, you know, president was just me being a servant, a public servant. And I did, people. What, I did what I thought. Because there's a point at which he kind of relates his theory on governance. And he's like, I do believe that a president should reflect the whims and suppositions of the populace. And just being like, I did what I was elected to do. And I'm not And I did be... it and I would never write about it. I would write about battles because that's what the people want to know. Yes. But like the rest of it is all in the public record and you may see it and I stand by what I've done. I also do think he is like off duty wide brim hat again. Like he, you know what he is? I feel like his style oh. is a little in modern times. It'd be, yeah, it's so those guys that Miranda Lambert made that CD the Murphy tapes with. You know what I mean? Like he's being wide brim hat. Okay, and he's being so, like, unbuttoned, like, kind of letting me short. Yeah, actually, maybe. I do, yeah, I think the hats for sure, and men, all men wore hats then. I guess my question, the reason I brought the presidency was, like, do you think that when he was running, he would wear the uniform? I think he wore the uniform. For people to, like, think he was a war hero? Yeah, I don't think he was, like, in a suit, like, long tails, penguin stuff, tie. I think it's, like, you know me as a general. Right. And, like, people are coming to see him speak. It's, again, there's no TV. So he's, like... When did suits get invented? Like, with a tie? Well, there was the bolo, which I feel like was already happening. And there was, like, long bow tie. Like, I feel like at this point there was, like, long string bow ties. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Those really, But, like, like, Lincoln was so suit. He was, like, in top hat, bow tie, penguin... Long blazer. It was like a literally a tux. Okay. Yeah. 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 I guess that tracks. And I feel like. Oh yeah, no. And they were. So, I don't know what I'm talking about. Literally, George Washington is always in a suit. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm they've asking. been in suits. Right. And I he's bet. Like I'm okay. sure he had one suit, and Julia Dent was like, "Ulysses, you look nice in that suit." And he's like, "I don't want to wear it." I'm too embarrassed by the one time <laughs> yeah. the tavern keep made terrible fun of me and the whole town mocked me for three summers. I will wear my general's uniform because that is what people know me in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And he just stayed in the uniform. And I'm sure also he wore like a nightgown, like a big, heavy plaid nightgown. <laughs> <laughs> he was just sweating all night and Julia Dent is in like the separate twin bed. He's sweating off the whiskey in his like heavy flannel <laughs> nightgown. And she's like, perhaps tonight you listen. And he's just like <laughs> passed out from the whiskey. Um, How does, how does she, she live? live? I'm just like kerosene lamp boots? Yeah, like when he got home. Do you think she was being so like, do you love the new hand mirror that I purchased? <laughs> he's sending her thinking, she's like, I got a new hand mirror. And he's like, that's great, Julia Dent. And like realizes like he's lost all of his gold coins like in some bad business deal and just being like, uh, and like not telling her maybe. Oh, and she's just like, I bought a hand mirror. I bought a hand mirror. He's like, we haven't fucked the hand mirror. Yeah. And he's just like, fuck. But he's not like getting angry at her because he's a sensitive man. Exactly. He wouldn't slap her, use the rod on her. I don't think not, so. No, he would not gather a switch I from his own I bet he wife. did have 
Well, I don't know if he lost all the money, but I feel like the house was, I feel like it was kind of so New England where it was like big and drafty and like some nice stuff, but pretty humble. Okay. I'm guessing like, okay. So, cause there's like the rural Ohio house where like she's with her parents or whatever, where they were like, because the kids were in Ohio most of the time or were they in St. Louis? I feel like they were in Ohio at like the farm. So just like, to me, that house is... I feel like it, go to, it could be like actually like insanely modest or it could be more like the New England big drafty house that you're talking about where there's like one chair and a fireplace and like a stone kettle and it's just like so austere. But it could also be like such a modest cabin that's actually super cozy. Oh, and you think like it's all these kids and they're around the big stovetop kettle big, yes, big, and they come back and they're like, Aja Papa, <laughs> like you're home. Do they have a potbelly stove like the yeah. sandwich chain? Yes, and they're serving potbellies, <laughs> six inches. <laughs> and there's like plaid couches, and it's just big like, Pendleton blankets, yeah, big, girl dad. <laughs> and is he coming back with like the Navajo like, stuff from New Mexico? There's, he's coming back with Navajo stuff. He's coming back with like like one little bit of gold from San Francisco, being like, got you one little kernel, and then like sense being like, ah, oh, gee Willikers pops. And there's like a deer on the wall or whatever that obviously I he didn't hunt because he's a little. Bitch. I feel like there's no taxidermy. Yeah, I mean that would be inauthentic. It would absolutely be, and he is so authentic. Yeah, I guess I think maybe you're and right. You're and you're it's, it's more, more drafty and it's less. Yeah, like, that so sounds like a little too fun. like Loretta Lynn, and it's like these nine kids, like. But it's like the two sons are still sharing a room. How many kids he end up having? I don't know, but he definitely. I'm sure, he doesn't know either. <laughs> yeah, I want to say four. Okay. So there's like, yeah, there's like three sons in a room and then like... The babe is with the mother. The baby is with the mother and then there's like a full like servant's but, quarters. But maybe like Julia Dent is also like sleeping with her mother. <laughs> yes, <laughs> in no, her, room. her and her mom are sharing a bed <laughs> for sure. And then like old Grandpa Willikers is like Grant is like in his nightgown. In his and nightgown in his like consumption study. And it's so Willy Wonka where he's just in bed all day along with <laughs> yeah. consumption. <laughs> color stuff well we'll have to look up these pictures turned into paintings I know I mean I guess we could also talk about what he did to the White House like what was Julia yes. Dent's I mean okay obviously back then like first ladies weren't being so like doing well, a tour of the no, White House and redoing the curtains no no I Here's my little factoid. Okay, fact up, bitch. Rutherford B. Hayes, his wife Lucy, invented the Easter egg hunt. Oh, wait, seriously? Yeah, which is like the most, the most first lady thing, thing. So wait, so that means that, uh, well, again, Hayes was after Grant. Right. So that also kind of makes me think that maybe like Grant and Julia Dent no. weren't doing much. And yeah. Lucy was like, so, let's that... have a fun Easter egg hunt. No, I, I do think that like as first lady, you often kind of like do the thing that the person for you like didn't do. Well, and also Hayes was a major teetotaler and they were very like lemonade socials. Yeah. So they had to do the lemonade socials. Whereas like Gran and Dan, it's like Gran is drinking and Dan's just kind of like roaming, roaming <laughs> the halls and fanning herself. And she's not really having so many public audiences. Like maybe she brought a quilt from home. 
And like maybe like once every four months, she was just like, the Philadelphia Philharmonic <laughs> is going to play this evening, Ulysses. He was like, well, I suppose I can muster a bit of excitement. For I them. do love an overture. <laughs> and they go and they see the overture and she's sitting there like, it was lovely. And then he retired to the drawing room and he's like drinking with like so many ex-Confederate generals. I'm like, remember when you killed 6,000 of my men? And they're just like stamping out a cigar for hours. He's like, oh, you're bad, Jackson. But I respect you. And then Dent's like not even hanging out with the other wives. She's being like, I'm so very tired. Okay, that's also very Michelle Obama hugging George Bush. That vibe, like I feel like Grant with all of his Confederate generals is always like that meme that people were like, but again, like Facebook moms were always showing, being like, remember Remember when? when Remember when it was in real te- politicians? Real politicians were leaders and they respected one another before they owned man around. The same boomerang of Michelle turning around to shake hands with Bush. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where it's like obviously Hayes' wife is more than Michelle. I feel like Hayes' wife is more Laura Bur- Bush because she's so like Laura Bush. sober and Easter egg seems more Laura Bush. <laughs> Okay, yeah. But isn't that also kind of more Barbara Bush Sr.? True. I guess, I don't know, Easter egg guns are, again, are all first ladies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, who are you in the book? I know who I am. It's easy. If you can guess who I think I am. Who do you think you are? I'm Captain Slaughter, who got seasick <laughs> oh, for three years. Seasick for three years, and then killed by the Indians in Oregon. Yeah, um, just three years of nausea. <laughs> I mean, you do famously have vertigo. Vertigo, seasick, fairies, yeah. and I'm like getting a letter and being like, ooh, I forgot to open my mail. God, I forgot to open my mail. <laughs> I have to get back on this boat for nine months and we're isthmus bound. <sighs> yeah, I think that really tracks. Um, I think you, I don't think you're Grant. No, I mean, there were times far too when loud. I was like, okay, but yeah, I think that, I think he's much more reserved. No, I mean, there's, there could be shades of Grant in both of us. Sure, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think you are the root innkeep in the pantaloons, like roasting him. But I'm also like, that's so, no, you're not that jackass. I'm though. not so jackass. And I also don't think like I would make fun of someone for like, a fashion choice because I respect bold fashion choices. Yeah, I guess you're more like being like, yes, Grant, wear the pantaloons. Right. Where was that friend in the book? <laughs> he didn't have any friends who like really just like gassed him up for his fashion. And like, that's a problem. Well, as I said, you're a random gold digger. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to San Francisco. I'm one of these like, freelancers who moves to San Francisco. In 1851. I, mean, I, I, I do love to study abroad. Is there literally no... I know, I'm like, who I mean, else? There's, there's no women in this book. Um, I'm like thinking, thinking, other generals. Am I like, the, okay, am I the bitchy teacher who's beating all the sons in the subscription school with the switch? Not really. No... I mean, I honestly, like, you do get kind of crazy on hikes. Like, I feel like 
sometimes you're so like, oh, yeah, like you do get to a Boy Scout and you're like this time you like wanted me to walk down a full 90 degree angle in Vermont. Right. And I was like, I'm literally not doing this to go to like and I'm being a, like, a stream. the river. Yeah, that's like a stream. So I wonder if you're like one of his Mexican-American fellow soldiers who's being like, no, no, no. I actually hear the view is crazy. Like, let's Just like pack up this. the mule and let's do this. And oh, actually, this is so you because all their eyes got so fucked up and you're always getting pink eye and your pink eye after the hike I'm so pink eye after the hike because I was like rimming one of my fellow mules (laughs) (laughs) okay Okay. but hey listen pink eye is better than cholera sweetheart (laughs) and consumption I'll I'll take pink eye any day of the week okay I give volume one of this book three Muskets out of four, and honestly, volume two, like one musket out of four. Yeah, I'm in a similar place. I would say I give, I would divide it by volume, and I would give volume one um, three months bedridden with (laughs) consumption out of five, and then volume two, maybe 1.5, because it just drags on. And again, this isn't a book that I would encourage anyone to read (laughs) too closely. You know, read parts, skim others, but it's interesting. I think this is an episode if you're like, oh, I really want to connect with my dad through podcasts, but I don't know how. Yeah. Send him this episode. Yeah. And he's going to be like, of I'm course, sure, I read that book. I'm, yeah. The dad has probably read, maybe he didn't read the memoirs, but he used to read a biography of Grant. Absolutely. Um, most boomer parents will have a much deeper knowledge of war history. <laughs> um, Dads love them. Some dads civil love war. war. Uh, so, yeah, they they might find this interesting. But. but again, also, I'm not here to tell you that, like, mm, you don't like Civil War no, history I'm also as saying, our fans. And I also think, yeah, A, like, do, like, be a buff if you want to be a buff. <laughs> Expand your mind because, like, we're always, like, told to, like, read the bestsellers, like, read what everyone else is reading. It's like, I don't know, go back. Like, people were writing hundreds of years ago. That's really all what school is based on is to like read history. Not like in school they're like read normal people by Sally Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, don't you think in school now they are probably being like read normal people by Sally Rooney? I bet at my high school they definitely are like there's like a Sally Rooney class. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, history, have you heard of it? Back to school. Welcome. Why See you in all. I mean, See you at assembly. A memoir perspective. Like, obviously, you know, I'm violently anti-novel and I would never tell anyone to read just like, you know, Oliver Twist or the Canterbury Tales. I don't know. I'm just saying that like a lot of people are saying read history to like it's kind of a thing. And no, but I mean childhood. memoirs. Mm, specifically. Yes. So you can really find out how did they live? How did, did they, they live? they live? Okay, well, next week week is going to be really cozy and yummy. Oh, yes. (laughs) Mm, I can't wait. And it's also going to be pretty healthy. I hope you're hungry. Put on your flannel crop top Um, and get your Le Creuset out. uh, Because we're going straight to Nashville (laughs) for non-native Cook, chef, authoress, reality TV star, and all-around mother figure. Designer, shipping and handling (laughs) empress. Um, Fashion merchandising (laughs) guru. Kristen Cavallari. And her cookbook, True True Comfort. Comfort.
I was like, was it true colors? Or Healthy true colors? recipes that feed the soul. I don't know if that's the tagline, but it probably it, is. It should be. <laughs> Uh, so we'll be cooking and eating and really feel getting, free to cook along with cook us along with us and um, definitely watch all three seasons of Very Cavalry to please prepare. do yeah best, best. Celebrity Book Club, which was created in 1845, is presented by Prologue Projects and HeadGum. The show is produced by my dear Meg Murnane, who is now passed due to cholera, with editorial support from Leon Nafok, who I studied with at West Point. Andrew Parsons, who, well, he was a dear friend of mine until we got into a sword battle. And Madeline Kaplan, who is my aunt who doesn't know her genealogy. Our production manager is Persia Verlin, who is one of my daughters I have yet to meet. Engineering by Ferris Monchi, who very, very nicely transported me on a canal up the Poughkeepsie River once. Original theme song by Stephen Phillips Horst, who is a grand conductor in the city of Philadelphia, excuse me. Artwork by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY. I would like to commission him to do my portrait, even though that seems, oh, not my style, but every president should have a painting. Please do follow us on Twitter at CBC The Pod. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review and don't forget to tell your friends about us. That was a HeadGum Podcast. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.